Talk Description to Me with Christine Malik and J.J. Hunt. Hi, I'm Christine Malik. And I'm J.J. Hunt. This is Talk Description to Me, where the visuals of current events and the world around us get hashed out in description-rich conversations. As a user of audio description, I'm often curious about the visuals of what we see in the news, and it often leads to a lot of questions. And in talking about these things with JJ, who's an audio describer, we have discussed the issue of neutrality, and particularly in this podcast, because neutrality is something we definitely should strive for. But I feel that sometimes neutrality is impossible, and maybe even inappropriate. And so there there will be times and issues where uh, we just can't help it, and and we we kind of lose our objectivity. But I think that's sort of um, appropriate at certain times. And I live with I'm a person with a disability, and yet I feel that I live a privileged uh, in a privileged way. I'm, I'm I'm white, and I'm not often discriminated against in in the the um, the ways that we're going to be talking about some of these images uh, showing today. And so I like to just position myself as someone who knows that and is conscious of it, and is uh, very open to hearing if if we are presenting things in a way that doesn't feel um, authentic for people who are listening to our podcast. I'm a white man, and I am. I have not lived with a disability uh, at any point in my life, and discrimination is not something that I I feel on a day to day basis. And it's important, I think, for our listeners to understand that that's where that's where I'm coming from. This is where you're coming from, and we're going to do our best to be objective when we have these conversations to a point as you say there are some times when we need, we we do have opinions we do live in this world and we are having conversations about things that are sometimes they hit home absolute objectivity is something that describers aim for a lot when we are describing movies or television or even pieces of art in a gallery but when you're having conversations about real life events real life uh, situations and the visuals of the world around us, having absolute objectivity is, uh, it becomes near impossible. So we're starting our first episode with some extremely uh, intense um, material. We, we want to be talking about current events and the images that are shown there. And so the first thing we're going to discuss is protests that have been going on. And we felt that the, the images of George Floyd are so important that um, we, we are going to discuss them, and JJ is going to just do some describing of the actual video. So I'm just giving a bit of a trigger warning, because obviously this is very difficult 
uh, very difficult material. And it's something that as a, a blind person consuming the news, I had a certain type of choice about, am I going to watch the video? And it was a bit easier for me to say, no, I'm not, because I won't get the visuals. And I think that there's a lot of value in having an informed choice, a more informed choice. And so JJ is going to be offering some descriptions of of protests and with lots of questions about that. But we've decided to start with the video itself. Difficult as as it is, we we feel it's it's important to honor uh, to honor that by allowing people with a visual impairment to have access to knowing what what the images show. With all of that in mind, um, I'm going to do my best to describe uh, specifically there's a still frame from a cell phone video taken from that that encounter with police between where George Floyd is being arrested and killed. And um, so I'm going to do my best to describe that one specific image. There were several videos that were taken of the encounter between George Floyd and the I think there were four police officers in total that were uh, uh, engaged in the uh, physically engaged in the arrest. Um, at one point, three police officers are kneeling on George Floyd, and there's a fourth officer who is uh, standing and keeping uh, passersby and onlookers at bay while the other officers are physically in contact with uh, with Mr. Floyd. The still uh, frame. Uh, that we're going to be describing today is from one of those videos from a bystander. There was a 17-year-old passerby named Darnella Frazier who took this uh, cell phone video, and it really has become the most infamous single image that's associated with George Floyd's death. It's the image that was put on t-shirts and protest signs. It's been featured in news reports around the world. Uh, it's been referenced in political cartoons, and uh, it's, it's everywhere. So this is the image that we're going to be describing today. It's a somewhat grainy still frame, of course. When you take a, a still frame from a cell phone video, it is going to be a little bit grainy. And it was uh, filmed in a portrait or a vertical mode. And uh, the image itself has a white police officer kneeling on the neck of a black man who lies face down on the road, partially obscured by the back of a black police SUV. The police officer is named Derek Chauvin, and he's a middle-aged uh, white man with a graying buzz cut. He's got some gray stubble under his chin. He's dressed in a, in a blue patrol uniform, with a kind of a sky blue short sleeved uh, collar shirt that's tucked into a dark that's tucked into dark blue pants, um, the shirt that he's wearing is somewhat snug and it appears to feature an integrated um, bulletproof vest. Uh, there's a Minneapolis police patch on his shoulder and he's got a metal metal badge on his chest which hangs askew over his breast pocket. Now, uh, Chauvin wears black leather boots with very thick soles. He's got sunglasses perched on the top of his head above the hairline. And his, uh, his belt uh, has several tools hanging off of it, including what appears to be a small spray can, uh, a walkie-talkie, and a very large black flashlight. Lying on the pavement beneath Chauvin is a black man, George Floyd. 
Now, much of Floyd's body is obscured by the SUV, but his face and his bare shoulder are in view in this, uh, in this, in this image. Floyd's cheek is pressed against the street, and his head is turned toward us. He has a buzz cut, uh, dark skin. He's got a large nose, full lips, and uh, a muscular shoulder. Chauvin's left knee, the police officer's left knee, is positioned right on the back of Floyd's neck, between his ear and his shoulder. The exact position of his right knee is unclear, but it appears to be on George Floyd's back. Now, in this frame, Chauvin is leaning forward slightly, and he has his left hand in his pocket. His feet are behind him, with the toes of his boots on the pavement, and his backside is well off of his heels. Chauvin is facing us, and he's looking past our right shoulder. His mouth is slightly open, his forehead is wrinkled, and his left eyebrow is raised. Now, under his knee, Floyd's mouth is partially open, and what appears to be white foam or spit marks the, his lower lip right at the corner. Um, Floyd's eyes are closed, but his brow is raised and his forehead is wrinkled. Um, what we'll do is we're, we're going to post some links to the image uh, that was described above. And there are some other, uh, there's some other reports in the media that, that really help flesh out this image further. And we can post links to that in our uh, associated media. Oh, damn, that's intense. That's that's hard to listen to, and it must be very hard to to describe. You can watch a scary movie through your fingers. You can turn away at 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 a, at a certain moment so that you can avoid catching the the moment that a needle goes into an arm. If you're watching a TV show that involves drug use or something, you can turn away. And when you're hearing description of something that is really intense, it's it's much harder to turn away. And I think it's one of the reasons that it's both really difficult to listen to a description of an image like this, but it's also, I think, one of the reasons it's important to have it available. I'd like to talk about the protests in a bit of a broader context. One of the things that uh, was new to me was in the protests that have been going on, there's a lot of reference to taking a knee. And could you describe what that means? Yeah, absolutely. They're dropping down onto one knee. It's usually the right knee. And the right knee uh, drops down, touches the ground, and the left knee is bent um, and the thigh is left at kind of like parallel to the uh, to the ground. So it's it's kind of like physically it looks like someone is uh, lunging, like the lunge exercise, but they've let their right knee go all the way to the ground and touch the ground. Sometimes the person who's taking a knee will uh, lean forward a little bit, kind of put their elbow on the raised knee and kind of bend their head down. That's the kind of the somber version of the pose. There's also kind of, uh, there's, there are more defiant stances or, you know, there, there are more defiant versions of the pose where someone will, you know, go down on one knee, but instead of bending forward, they'll keep their head up and maybe hold a hand or hat over their heart. 
um, uh, or perhaps even raise a single fist in the air, raising one fist in the air in the black power salute, which, as you can imagine, is a is, is a pretty powerful gesture. I didn't realize that it started with uh, with the sports figures. And I had heard that there had been incidents where people had chosen not to stand for the anthem, but I didn't realize that it ended with them uh, in a kneeling posture. So do they start by sitting and then some stand and some just go to a knee? Or how does that progress look when you saw it in the sports context? Yeah, in, in a sports context, I mean, in I, I think you'd have to go back to Colin Kaepernick, who is the uh, San Francisco 49ers uh, quarterback, I believe. And, um, you know, at the at the beginning of a, of, of a game, uh, everyone's supposed to stand for the national anthem. And he knelt. He got down on one knee. And, of course, it was massive. People were totally up in arms about this. Uh, and it was the quiet... Um, the the quiet protest, and then other uh, other athletes started doing it. Some of his teammates started to do it. Um, in other sports, uh, people started to do that as well. And of course, it's now gotten to the point where uh, there have been moments during these protests where police officers have gone out uh, in front of the police stations when they're you know met with all of these protesters, and as a gesture of solidarity, they drop to a knee to let the protesters know I'm, I'm, I'm with you, or at least to give that impression. Politicians have started doing it. Uh, Trudeau has dropped to a knee. The Canadian prime minister has dropped to a knee. So some protesters are really upset because these politicians and, uh, uh, and police chiefs and police officers are kind of taking advantage of this, um, this gesture, but not backing it up with any actual, uh, um, you know, with any, with any appropriate behavior. It makes for a, a really powerful photo op. So much of the news coverage, as as it often does, is focused on images and uh, videos that either people have taken or the media is is showing. And I wonder if you can talk about some of the most powerful images that you've seen. Yeah, I mean, there have been some just incredibly powerful video clips and uh and images and still shots from those videos that have gone around and th these protests by the way are attended by all kinds of folks right like if you scan the crowds at any one of these in any one of these protest uh videos or or shots in the newspaper you're you're seeing all kinds of folks there are black people there are white people there are people of all races people of all ages in some cases people in some of the protests people were bringing kids um you know this is a it's a pretty diverse group of people Folks are holding protest signs, a lot of Black Lives Matter protest signs, a lot of uh, signs that say defund the police or defund white supremacy. And of course, a lot of signs that are referencing George Floyd's final words, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And people are wearing um, T-shirts that say I can't breathe. They're, they're wearing T-shirts and, and even masks because a lot of these protests are taking place during the you know, the COVID lockdowns, people are wearing masks that have been printed up that say, I can't breathe on the left side. And on the right side, there's a, there's a, a screen print image of George Floyd being killed. Oh, protest signs that's, that read peace and justice, no justice, no peace. And then a lot of signs that explain the idea of Black Lives Matter and comparing it to all lives matter. And so signs that 
you know, that kind of break this down, what those two things mean and why Black Lives Matter is uh, is important and uh, and why all lives matter is is offensive to, uh, you know, to a lot of people who are at these protests. What's the uh, breakdown of how many people are wearing masks? Oh, that's a good question. So I, in a lot of the protests, um, quite a few people are wearing masks, especially in the, you know, a lot of attention is paid to the protests that turn into riots. But there are far more protests, of course, that don't. If you're looking up those images... Uh, there are lots of people wearing masks. I would say almost the majority of people. And as people are marching in public spaces, they are, it's, it's, um, it's a, a gappier crowd, if that makes sense. People are uh, separating a little bit and, and keeping a few feet away from the other protesters. Not always the case, but is certainly sometimes the case uh, that the, there seems to be some effort made. A lot of people wearing masks and and then... The fact is, when you get into uh, kind of dicier protest situations, the protests that are uh, clashing with police officers, a lot of the folks who are at the front lines of those protests, they have masks and bandanas and things around their necks, things they can cover their mouths with anyway, because they're concerned about tear gas. They're concerned about uh, pepper spray. So the masks are doing double duty. I want to talk a bit about um, the, the the visuals of the COVID world and the COVID lockdown. And um, I came across a, this really sweet piece in the New York Times, of all places, that was about Justin Trudeau's hair. And it never occurred to me that this was a thing. But our populist sentiment is that if we can't get a haircut, our prime minister should not be getting a haircut. And so I understand that he hasn't been. And his look has uh, gotten enough attention that it was in the New York Times. So I wonder if you could give us a, a, a description of Trudeau's appearance. Uh, you know, he's been giving daily uh, updates every day. So Canadians are seeing him regularly. So I wonder if you could do a little description about that. Oh, absolutely. Always happy to talk about our pretty prime minister, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> he. So the thing with, with Justin Trudeau is that Canadians have, we've watched this man grow up. We saw him as a little boy. We saw him as a teenager. We got to know him as a young politician, and now he's the prime minister. So we got to see him at all of those stages of his of his youth and his adolescence. And so as we're watching him give these daily, you know, these daily talks, these daily briefings, and we're watching his hair get a little bit longer and a little bit shaggier, it's kind of, it harkens back to those times when he was a young teenager or when he was a young politician or a teacher. So it's, it's, it's really interesting what these visual cues are, you know, presenting us with these like keys to his past. So, you know, when we entered into this lockdown period, Trudeau's hair, he's got dark, wavy hair. Uh, he keeps it with a side part. And he generally these days has it reasonably trim. It's not a buzz cut or anything, but it's reasonably trim. Um, but as the days went on, it gets a little longer. The waves in the dark hair come out. And, the, the, the you know, the bangs that are swept across his forehead get really long and wavy. And it does start to become almost 
shaggy. There's a luxurious quality to his hair. It never got like shoulder <laughs> length or anything, but it was, you know, it was getting long and sh- and, and, and the bangs, you know, a, a lock, a chestnut lock would come springing out of his bangs and tickle <laughs> his brow. And so then he has this, this gesture, of course, where he has to brush the hair back out of his eyes. And so he, he runs his fingers through his hair and pushes the hair back onto the back of his head. So he's got this gesture where he reaches up and he runs his fingers through his hair to brush the hair off his forehead. And someone grabbed a clip of this. Someone on the internet, God bless the internet, grabbed a clip of Trudeau doing this hair flip and they slowed it down and they paired it with a seductive soundtrack. And you end up with this fantastic viral video of the prime minister of our country sweeping the hair back off his forehead. It was just wonderful. And then sadly, a few days ago, Justin Trudeau managed to get a haircut and it was just, I know it was so devastating. Everyone's heart just made the sound that you made. It was so tough. It was so rough, but I guess it's time we can all go out stage two. You can bubble with your hairdresser now and get a haircut. Have feedback or suggestions of what you'd like to hear about? Here's how to get in touch with us. Our email address is talkdescriptiontome at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is called Talk Description To Me. And our website is talkdescriptiontome.com. You can follow us on Twitter at talkdescription. <laughs>